So the last few weeks, Amy and I, we've been uh, sharing a bit more about uh, intimacy with God, right? Hearing God's voice, all really, really important things when it comes to our journey with the Holy Spirit, right? And uh, one of the things that God has been sharing with me with intimacy with Him is real intimacy is coming to the Father with no hidden agenda, okay? If we're seeking intimacy with Him just in order to see more healing, more breakthrough, that's not real intimacy, okay? And I kind of made the jab at the husband's a couple of weeks ago when I shared this message, right? I'm like, husbands, it's a real intimacy if, you know, you're doing all these lovely things for your wife, but there's a hidden agenda behind why you're doing those lovely things, right? Right? You guys understand what I mean? Yeah? No? I'm not going to go there, but I just, that's the, that's the, you know, I think most people understand that, right? Just me. Um, but in order to have that real intimacy, right? So we are going to him with no hit of agenda. And obviously it's so important to be able to hear his voice. Know his voice, hear his voice, right? Because if we want to commune with the Father, we have to be able to understand that he's always speaking to us. Uh, so anyway, we spoke a really good message on that last week. So we have it on our, on our podcast online. So definitely check it out if you weren't, didn't get a chance to hear it or you want to hear it again because it was really, really good uh, on hearing God's voice, Okay. But this morning, uh, I want to talk about an obstacle that a lot of us face that hinders us from having that close relationship with the Father, okay? There's obviously several different things, but there's this one that, you know, is generally a big thing that pops up all the time. Uh, So if you have your Bibles here, I'm going to read it online, but if you have your Bibles, you want to go to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. And we're going to read through... Verses 1 to about 11. So I'll give you a minute to pull it up. So again, Genesis 3, verses 1 through 11. Nice thing, picking the book of Genesis is right at the very beginning of the Bible, right? So if you're like, Adam, I don't know where all these books are in the Bible. So I just made it easy for you, okay? So I'm going to say you're welcome to you now. All right. So verse 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and it looked so delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave it to her husband, who was with her. Can we all say with her? With her, okay? Just, I'm just making that clear. All right. Now I lost myself here. (laughs) I was with her. And he ate it too. Verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord was walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord, God among the trees. Then the Lord called, Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid. I was naked. 
And we're going to stop there. So sin enters, right? Adam and Eve, they stumble, they fall, right? And sin enters the picture, okay? And it says they were ashamed of their nakedness. I love how, you know, they were walking in such closeness with God. You know, they had such a close communion with God, right? And then sin enters the picture, and their natural reaction to that sin was to what? To go hide, right? They knew they did something they weren't supposed to, so they hid because they were ashamed. And so um, there's an author, I forget her name right now, I didn't write it down, but I'll find it for you guys later if you want to know. But she has some good stuff on, on guilt versus shame. And so a couple of things that I wrote down was guilt says I did something wrong, okay? And shame says there's something wrong with me. Okay, so guilt says I did something wrong. Shame says there's something wrong with me. So the example she uses, she was kind of talking about this guy who had a meeting the next day at work, and he was out partying all night. He was really hungover, and he slept through his meeting the next day. Okay, and so he woke up, and he's just like, oh, man, that was such a a dumb thing, right? And then the other version she gives is the same guy, same story, but this time when he wakes up, he's like, how could I have done such a stupid thing? Like, I'm just so dumb. Like, how could I have done that? So the first one is, that was a stupid thing that I did, right? That was, that was just dumb. And that the other, that was guilt. And then the other one is shame that he's like, how could I have done that? Right? He starts putting the shame on himself that that was such a stupid thing that I did. You guys follow me? Shame loves it when we don't talk about it, right? Shame loves it when we, we push it down, we cover it up, we bury it down. I was going to bring in this garbage bag and just like stuff, start stuffing clothes in it, but I was like, I don't want to take all my clothes off my hanger, so I didn't do that for you guys today. I'm sorry. Um, we can get the mental picture, I'm sure. Uh, but again, like when we fall into shame, our natural reaction is to stomp it down, bury it down. I never want to see it again. I never want to feel that again, but I just want to hide it, right? I don't want to talk about it. I don't want anybody to know about it. I just want to push it down so I never have to see it again. But when we don't deal with it, what happens? It starts to bubble up a little bit, doesn't it? You know, maybe a week later, maybe a few days later, maybe sometimes it's years later, right? But all of a sudden it starts to bubble up again. So our natural reaction is to do what? Push it back down, take more clothes off the hanger, push it into that garbage bag, stuff it down, stuff it down, stuff it down, right? We don't want to deal with it. And this is a really popular saying, especially this last year, but it's so good not to say this morning, is our past doesn't define who we are. Okay, say that with me, guys. Our past doesn't define who we are. Say it to the person beside you, somebody's beside you. Our past doesn't define who you are. Our past sin doesn't define who we are. Our past sin doesn't define who we are. Our past doesn't determine our worth, okay? Our past does not determine our worth. 1 Samuel 16, 7. um, God is, you know, they're, they're picking a king, and God says, I don't look at the outward appearance like man does. I look at the heart. 
Okay, so 1 Samuel 16, 7. God looks at the heart. God doesn't judge from the outside appearance. Man does, but God judges from the heart. And so I love the story of Gideon, where Gideon is afraid. He's hiding, right? He's working at nighttime, and he's working away, right? Because he's afraid he's going to get caught, all these things. And all of a sudden, this, this angel of the Lord comes and calls Gideon, you mighty warrior. And I remember, it wasn't the first time I read it, but after how many years of reading it, finally hit me. I was like, he's calling him a mighty warrior while he's scared for his life, working away at nighttime so nobody will see him, but yet God calls him a mighty warrior. Okay? Now, I'm not going to read the story, but it's, there's action that needs to happen. This is kind of more like a prophetic teaching, but there's action that needs to happen. God called him a mighty warrior, right? The angel of the Lord comes and calls him a mighty warrior. Gideon could have ignored that, right? He could have just kept being afraid, kept doing what he was doing, but there was an action. He chose to take the action in order to become the man that God created him to be, right? The prophetic, I love it. It's you know, it's us asking God, when I'm prophesying over somebody, it's me asking God, like, God, what are you saying about this person? Sometimes this person doesn't see, obviously, what God sees, right? It's God pointing at the gold in their heart. God's giving you a word for that person that's pulling the gold out of their heart because God sees the gold in your heart. All right? God sees the gold in your heart and he's pulling it out. He saw the gold in Gideon's heart. He's pulling that gold out and declaring that who he is, right? Not who he was, not that failure, right? Not that fear, but who he really was, who God sees him to be, which is a mighty warrior. Are you with me, guys? So even though we don't see it, God does, right? Even though we don't see it, God does. And God wants to pull that gold out of your heart this morning. I think of Moses as well. Like, you know, God's called Moses to be, to bring the people out of Egypt, right? And Moses was full of excuses. He had lots of excuses like, no, 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 I, I can't do this, right? For all these different reasons, but God saw Moses' heart, and that's why God called him to be this leader. The point is, though, it's, it's not those struggles that define us, right? It wasn't Gideon's fears that defined who he was. It's not Moses' fears that defined who Moses was, right? Gideon was a mighty warrior. Moses was a great leader. That's who these guys were, all right? And obviously, I have to bring up David, because what's a sermon without David in it? You know, we've all heard a thousand sermons with David in it, so I have to keep that tradition running. Um, but David, you know, who was David? He was a man after God's own heart. But I remember, like, first time, like, so I have David up here. When I became a Christian, I'm like, David's like, whoa, man, this guy's, like, must be absolutely amazing, right? Because I've heard all these amazing stories of David. But when I actually started reading the Bible, I was like, man, David messed up a lot. I'm like, Amy, is this true? Like, David's a man after God's own heart, but yet, like, he's done some crazy things, right? But yet God says he's worthy to be known for a man after his own heart, right? For the rest of eternity, we have the Bible, and David's failures are for us all to read. All those failures are for us all to read, but that's not who he was. God sees him as a man after his own heart. Even when we've messed up and messed up over and over again, 
God doesn't see those things. He sees the gold in our heart. Okay? So it's just funny, because Friday, so just a couple days ago, I am being a good pastor. I'm working on my message. You know, I finished my message. I'm working. I'm reading it over, right, as a good pastor would do, right? And so I'm in my room, kind of shut the door, having my coffee, reading my message, and Malachi comes in, and he's crying. I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go again. Uh, so I home, Amy and I homeschool the kids. So our kids are home all the time. So there's, it's really hard to find a quiet spot when you don't have kids. So, But I think with my door shut, I should be good, right? But anyways, he comes in crying. I'm like, all right, dad mode, here I go. What's wrong, Malachi? And he's like, oh, Aslan said I'm horrible. They're not in here, right, kid? So Aslan said I'm horrible. And I'm like, for Aslan to say that, you've probably done something to kind of egg her on. She wouldn't just say that to you for no reason. Uh, and Malachi likes to push buttons. He's a little bit like me. He's a little, he likes to, like, you know, get in there. And if you hung out with Amy and I, you know I like to press her buttons a little bit. And uh, I say it keeps the love alive, okay? Um, but anyways, he comes in, he's crying. He's like, Aslan says I'm horrible. Um, but as I'm working on this sermon, I just kind of laugh. My initial reaction was a laugh. And I try not to laugh too much because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. Um, but it was just this amazing opportunity where I was like, Malachi, even though she says that, it's a lie, right? And I'm like, you are not this. This is who you are. You know, I started to name off these 10 to 20 things of what I love about him, that he's smart, he's handsome, he's, you know, so good in school, he's, he runs, like he's fast, all these different things, you know. And I got to end it off with just, Malachi, I love you so much but God loves you even more than I do. And so it was just this amazing teaching moment as a father that as I'm working on this message, as I'm literally reading what I'm about to say to him, I was just like, God, you're just so good. Because again, if I can be totally honest with you guys this morning, a lot of times when I speak, I have this insecurity it's just like, oh my gosh, like who am I to go up and, and speak in front of people, right? And it was just this amazing moment where I just laughed because God, you're just so good. You know my insecurities. You know my struggles, but yet you see the gold in our hearts, right? And he's just like, I didn't pray it, but yet he already knew what was on my heart and he already answered a prayer that I haven't even prayed yet. So a feeling of unworthiness is believing a lie about who we are not. A feeling of unworthiness is believing a lie about who we're not. So I'm going to take a couple of chairs here. Since I didn't bring in my garbage bag, I have to have another sort of visualization this morning. I'm not going to make anybody sit in it. We can picture that. So basically what you're picturing here is that God's in this seat, okay? And we'll say, I'm in this seat, all right? And so I'm having intimacy with him. We're really close. We're face-to-face, right? We're just communing together, and I mess up, right? I stumble. I fall into sin or something like that. I start to feel the shame. And a lot of us think that when we, when we stumble, that God does this, that God turns his back on us, Right? And then there's this, like, there's no communion anymore, right? But in reality, God doesn't turn his, his chair around on us, right? It's generally, I'm not saying all the time, but generally, it's us that do this. God is still looking right at us, but a lot of times it's this, right? We feel so much shame when we stumble 
that we can't handle looking at him, right? Or we get really good at keeping our chair facing forward, but our head just drops down. God, I've messed up so much, I just, I can't, right? I just can't. I've messed up too bad. Honestly, shame is, is like a prison, isn't it? You know, shame is like a prison. It's looking to lock you up and put a life sentence on that jail cell. It's looking just to hold you in, right? But does God, who wants to feel unworthiness? Definitely not God, right? God doesn't want us to feel unworthy. And I, I want to say today, I feel like today was this day that it was just like God is calling us to throw away shame this morning, which can be a hard and scary thing because we don't want anybody to see that stuff, right? But it's important for us to deal with it, right? Combat shame is being vulnerable. It's getting real with where we are, right? And God doesn't want us to go through that. It's not God's heart. God's heart is not for us to walk in shame. His heart for us is to walk in freedom, right? For freedom. And so with Good Friday coming up, you know, it's uh, Good Friday is known as the, the battlefield for our worth. I think it was Seth Dahl who I first heard this from. Good Friday is the battlefield for our worth. Okay, so you can, uh, you know, you can go to the works in town here. You can get a, a hamburger at the works, what, for like $15 or so? Does that sound about right? It's been a while since I've been there. Something like that, right? Okay, so you can go to the works, get like an expensive burger. Uh, you can go to McDonald's and you can get a, a value meal burger for what, like a dollar, two dollars or something like that. So you have this $20 burger, a $15 burger, and then you have this $2 burger, right? But most people, obviously, if we're not scraping with pennies and dimes, we're going to go with the more expensive burger. Why? Because it's got more value, right? It's got more worth to it. And so Good Friday is that battlefield of our worth. You want to know how much am I worth? You got to look at the cross. What was paid for us? It was a high price, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. So the greatest demonstration of love is to give up your life for somebody else. And Jesus laid down his life for not just people who would believe in him, but it says for whoever would believe in him, right? For every person, even people that would reject him. And it hits home for me because if I think of this kind of situation as like, you know, Amy's not here, so I'm going to use myself as an example. Um, if Amy and I are at the, the grocery store and we're in the parking lot, right? We're out just talking together, we're going around, and all of a sudden I see a, you know, a little child step out into the parking lot, but there's an, on, there's an oncoming car. And I jump out in front of that car and push the child out of the way and save the child, but I don't make it. But that child and the parents of that child just walk away. No 
no reckons, like no like thanking Amy, like, oh my goodness, your husband just gave your, his life for, for my child, for us, right? And that's the same with the cross, right? Jesus gave his life for not just people that would accept him, right? But for every single person, even those people that would reject him. So when we want to look at our worth, right? You're coming back to the cross. What was that paid? What was the price paid for each and every one of us? And God, he loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us in, his, in our shame, right? That conviction we get from the Holy Spirit, it's that conviction of, you know, you're his child and he just loves you so much that he doesn't want to see you continue to walk in that way. He's like, I love you so much that I want to see you be the person that I've created you to be. I love you so much that I don't want you to walk through that because you don't have to walk through that. You don't have to feel that way anymore because of the price that was paid, right? Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, he took all of our sins in himself, right? He went to the cross for each and every one of us. All that shame, all that guilt, all that stuff, he defeated it at the cross, right? But the important thing is that we have to come to him. We have to repent of those sins, right? Colossians 1.22 says, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. God's not up in heaven counting our faults, right? That's the picture I used to have of him before as a Christian, or like right at the very beginning, I was like, man, God's just up there. He's just counting away all my failures, right? All my mistakes. It's like, oh, there's another one. You know, there's another one, right? But it's not true, right? He's not up there counting our sins. I think it's Second Corinthians 5.19, where it says that he's not, and he's not counting our sins against us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we're a new creation, right? Our old self is now dead, and now we're a new creation in him. Say, I'm a new creation in him. So I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin and alive in Christ. Nothing can separate us from his love. Romans 8, 38, 39, right? Nothing can separate us from his love. Doesn't matter what our past says, right? God doesn't look at the past. He doesn't hold the past against you. Right? I think it was Kari last week. She shared this amazing word when we were doing communion that some of us were feeling unworthy that we've just messed up so bad, but his arms are long enough. Right? It doesn't matter how much we've messed up in the past. We've never messed up so much that his arms can't reach us. Amen? So when God sees us, who does he see? He sees his sons, right? His daughters, as his children, right? He sees you as worthy. Okay? 
So this morning, I just wanted to take some extra time. I'm going to get some my music going in the background here. I'm going to keep talking for a little bit yet. This morning, I want to spend a good amount of time just letting the Holy Spirit talk to us, okay? Because again, when we talk about shame, feeling unworthiness, it's, it's not a fun thing, right? It's like we can be sitting in the room and all of a sudden somebody brings up the word shame and all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness. Somebody's walking on eggshells, right? We get quiet, we get, we get scared, right? We don't, like, we don't want to go there. But this morning I really felt like God saying, look at the cross. Look at that price that was paid for each and every one of us. That's our worth. That's our worth. And so when we want to walk in daily intimacy with him, right, we need to know our value. We need to know our worthiness, okay? We need to have that daily encounter with the Father that we are just face-to-face with him. And when we're struggling with shame and guilt, it can be really tough to do that. Okay? And our hearts is to walk in that freedom. There's no condemnation in here. You know, again, I just get so encouraged that he's not counting our sins against us, right? I feel like people need to hear that he's not counting our sins against us. You know, he doesn't see those things, right? We now can walk in boldness to the throne and come to the Father in boldness, right? We can come to the Father with boldness, with confidence that our sins are forgiven, that that shame, that guilt is gone, 